All right, Jackson. Cards of the future. And uh, we're going to talk about a pretty uh, thorny issue. Right. Uh, a lot's been happening. And, uh, and none of the things we talk about have anything to do with coronavirus. <laughs> and if there's one thing to be thankful for, it is that. Uh, so, yeah. First time in a while. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, the, the common thread is that the previous issue needed leadership, and uh, this issue definitely needs leadership. And so we're calling today our theme is leadership in crisis and how important it is to have solid leadership in, uh, in moments like these. And leadership, a lot of times people think of high level, um, but it's leadership at a high level, leadership at mid-level, and leadership on the streets. Everyday life is needed right mm-hmm. now. And so uh, that's kind of the theme of what we're looking at today. Before we get into that, though, just to, on the light side, yeah. uh, what have you been up to? The last two weeks. All right, I've been, uh, it, it's, it's like the perfect amount of camping for me. One day. I, I had... Uh, I'm like a few hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're similar on that. <laughs> um, but my family, I was originally supposed to be gone to camp this week, but we're not doing camp uh, this summer, uh, and so I camped. Uh, but my family, since I was going to be gone, scheduled with uh, my wife's in-laws to be at Wren Lake in uh, Benton, Illinois, and so they've been up there all week, so I went down to spend, you know... Uh, uh, a couple days, uh, kind of a day and a half total. Got to ride my bike quite a bit. That was good. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, man, uh, you and I have been running along with yeah. some of our guys and then the usual stuff. What about you? Uh, yeah, and not much of much of anything. Uh, uh, we, uh, yeah, no, we're trying to work on a vacation uh, in July, maybe going down to Florida for, for a week. So we've been talking about that. But, uh, yeah, you know, trying to trying to balance. We have a new, a new child in our house. Yeah. Um, and... My wife is back to work, and so we're doing the kind of uh, she watches them a few days a week. I watch them a few yeah. days a week. So I'm kind of doing the work at home, work out of the home balance yeah. uh, this last few weeks. And if you want any kind of soul crushing work, try to balance that. It's not uh, it's not fun. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it turns you into a pretty terrible person. <laughs> Because you just feel like you, you need to work, but then you also have kids to watch. So yep. it kind of makes you a bad employee and a bad father all at the same time. <laughs> yep. So there's not a lot of encouragement going on. So uh, I, I, I'm all, I, I want to give props to the stay-at-home mom group out there. Um, it is, uh, yeah, it's hard work. Right. So. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump in. There's a lot to this. There are a lot of things we want uh, to mention, and uh, these matters are are really weighty. I'm reminded that uh, G.K. Chesterton said that uh, about the most serious matters you have to uh, laugh from time to time. Life is kind of too serious not to laugh. Sure. So this all is very heavy. Um, and, and so we, we want to look at a lot of different things today. We're trying to cover a, a lot of bases as best we can. Um, so we've looked at a few articles uh, lately. And this one, uh, David A. Graham, uh, which which newspaper was this from? Do you remember? This is from the Atlantic. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, called America has no precedent. Mm. Um, it's a good title, by the way. And so I'm still making my way through this uh, podcast called Presidential, and yeah. uh, I Washington just, Post, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Lillian Cunningham uh, is is uh, the shepherd through this podcast, and uh, just past Herbert Hoover this last week uh man he is one of the ones that 
has a reputation known for obviously trying to oversee uh, America through the beginning of the Great Depression and for not, uh, not getting the job done uh, by most estimations. And the takeaway, I mean, this guy was an orphan, had a really rough upbringing, mm. and was very successful, had a certain skill set. But the, the first thing, uh, his skill set was not suited for being the president during the Great Depression. He was, um, he was a guy who in the private sector did an incredible amount of good, but then had never worked in government wow. before being the president, wow. and so did not have the competence to do a lot of the connecting. There's a, it's, we don't see it a lot, but a lot of what the president does is connect. Yeah. You get with people, you get funding, yeah. you get uh, some bodies behind some work, right. and then you go, all right, I'm moving on. To get it is other the people. executive branch, right? right. Very executive-minded CEO, managing and administrating and all that aspect, yeah. Right, so I, it made me think about, too, you know, in, in seminary they talk to us about how uh, for a pastor you have to have uh, calling, and character and competence. And so those second two, character and competence, are hugely important in any sort of leadership, in secular right. leadership. Right. And Donald Trump was not made for this moment. Right. Uh, from a competence standpoint, you can look at him and go, uh, he excels in having a kind of an iron hand on a business and saying, right. you, bet, you guys better stick to the right. plan, right. otherwise I will fire you. Right. Um, and that is, uh, way more than that is what is needed in this time. Uh, I thought a, a powerful takeaway quote in this uh, story was, it says, Trump initially condemned George Floyd's killing by a Minneapolis police officer, but since then there have been no statements intended to quell anger, bridge divisions, or heal wounds. And it's just kind of like, yeah, those are not his skill sets. Right. I uh, mean, that quote that he put on Twitter, the when the looting starts, the shooting, I mean, that, regardless of what his intentions was, I'm pretty sure his intentions weren't to hope that people would get shot. I don't think you that's, hope not. Right. yeah, you hope not. You're just, you're trying to give him the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. there, but uh, um, that, that quote as a president, as a leader, uh, doesn't bring any calmness. It doesn't bring any sense of, of, of order, right. um, order in a positive way, not like a, military fist way, but order as in like trying to bring a sense of clarity to the what's going on. Yep. Th that that quote, which I think is really kind of what's what's going on. And I think I think David Graham gets into this is that the president has continued to kind of be the president of the small group who kind of yes. blind who kind of like follow him and support him regardless of what he says, what he does, and that he's kind of become that president where presidents you know, going back, especially in our modern age, have always kind of been, during times of crisis, either it be JFK during the Cuban Missile Crisis or uh, George W. Bush during 9-11 or um, um, other, or even like, even Ford during Watergate after Nixon had resigned. There's a sense where bringing, bringing order, bringing calmness, bringing peace, bringing yep. unity. Right. And Trump really struggles with the unity part. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, in a lot of ways, um, his self-interest, it seems, shows in looking at everything and going, well, this is about the next election. Yeah. And it's, uh, that is just not the case right now. And that's not what is needed right now. Partisanship is not uh, what is needed. And when you become president, you serve the entire country. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know politics are present in our life, but 
uh, Christian principle that has come to mind a lot in uh, looking at the situations that our country is dealing with right now is be quick to listen. You know, the scriptures say be quick to listen, slow to speak, right. and slow to become angry, right. and that listening to people is a form of submission, and, it, and as, as Christians, we should learn to listen to people and to let them finish and to hear stories out. Uh, our, we are all working to try to understand our own story in the context of the other stories that are happening around us, and so uh, this is not uh, about... Uh, the context of our talk today is not about running down uh, any particular president completely. What's important is uh, all of us understanding that we have a role to play in our lives and listening to those around us is a call of God mm -hmm. and Absolutely. hearing people out and learning other stories than just our own. To be interested in other people's yeah. situations and not just our own. Yeah. And so that's a that's a big start. And the first the, in looking at all this, it's been so overwhelming that I wanted to make sure I had some um, some takeaways and some some positive encouragements that, that there's a way forward. And that's the first one I really saw. Listening. You know, it's got to be yeah. quick to listen. We we have yeah. to hear people out right now because experiences of of people are different. Mm. Um, and, and even though it's, it's a task to try to integrate, try to understand differences, uh, we have to do that. Mm. It's so, do and that. it's so, I mean, in the comparison of speaking and thinking and responding, it's so much harder to listen. Yep. Because we are so, we so desire to, to get our point out, uh, making sure that, that we're not overlooked, right? right. And so there's a, a quickness during this time to go. You know, all lives matter, right? Or, and, and I think while I think why Black Lives Matter and that movement is so enraged by that comment is just like you're not listening. You're, right. you, you're wanting to put your point in. You're wanting to, to stay, hey, don't forget about us. Yep. Um, that you're, and you could be right even in your point, but I think right now to be right is to probably shut up and just sit back and listen yeah. and and. and and maybe at the end of this, you're not any more persuaded, or, or, or maybe your, your, your eyes are not seeing what they're seeing, but at least you provided a space uh, to listen right. and, and see that maybe, you know, maybe there's something here, maybe for um, those in our country who, um, who are black, um, their experiences, um, which we, as someone who's white, don't have these experiences, right? I don't right. look at the police the way that 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 maybe blacks look at the police in our country. Um, and so I need to be educated on this because honestly, I don't know. Right. And so for me to make a statement or to come out with some eloquent or articulate position is a little bit, in, it's incomplete because I right. don't have their experiences and I really probably need to be educated and listen to what's sure. going on. Yeah. Which I think ties in to the second article that we were looking at called America's Original Sin, Slavery and the Legacy of white supremacy. Uh, that was by Annette Gordon Reed, and it was in is foreign policy. Foreign magazine. policy, but this is it was interesting about this article. It was written in nineteen, I mean twenty eighteen. Okay, so it's a, it's a few years old. It's sure. like two years old, I think. Um, and the uh, kind of the the theme of that particular edition was talking about um, the past. Right. So there was an article about Germany, an article about Russia, an article about China, and talking about the evils of the past. Sure. And there was an article about the United States and right. slavery and stuff. And I, I picked it up uh, actually weeks ago. I, I saw it. I, had, I used to be a subscriber. I picked it up and I was like, I wonder if 
this is something that talking about China yeah. that we could talk about. So I read I read the the article in China, and then I like you know I'm gonna read the one on the United States, and yeah. now here we are talking about well, it. Sure. So it's interesting, yeah. And so a definite takeaway um, as somebody who used to really look at the world through a, kind of a progressive view, I remember having a thought like, well, history in terms of slavery is so far in the past that it right. has no bearing on today. Right. Two hundred and fifty. Plus years, two hundred, almost two hundred fifty years. I'm, I'm hundred fifty, yeah, hundred fifty years since the end of slavery. Right. So since the official end uh, of slavery, and and it's uh, one thing I've learned is it's far too easy, one, to push the past off because it's too convenient. But then the second thing is, if you start doing some math, um, you know, for instance. Uh, there was racism in my family. And mm. one thing that happened is I began to go, well, why haven't they, these people come on board with, like, we're not going to do that anymore. I remember kind of uh, thinking about that, and then I went, well, wait a second. If you start adding up the ages, uh, so say uh, when your grandparents were born, and then you think about, okay, when were their grandparents born? Right. So that you have uh, an understanding of, the like physical connection that your grandparents had as as children well then you're only about five generations right. away from 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 not just racism i mean from slavery yeah. and so history is important and history has consequences right. because you can't just say well that ended so now there are no further consequences and really this is a, a danger of looking at the world just from this solely progressive viewpoint of going well it's now yeah. so forget about all the things that used to be because those ended um, and I think that figures into some of this because you can't just have this bare idea or attitude that well we're in the future now, so all of this should have been fixed. Right. Okay, if it's not fixed, we're just going to have to work to fix it. Right. Uh, it, it doesn't do any good to say, I feel like this should have been fixed by now. Well, right. look, if, if it's not fixed, then we're, it's going to take some effort right. to do something about it. So, uh, you know, you had Abraham Lincoln, you had the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, you have, the thir- is it the 13th Amendment, right, um, in the 1860s. And then the Civil Rights Act was what, passed in... 1964 and 1968. That's almost, that's a hundred years. Right. <laughs> between the end of slavery and the Civil Rights Act. Right. So Martin Luther King was not protesting in the 1860s. He right. was protesting in the 1960s. Right, because... And then, and even, but even integration type stuff in some southern states didn't even happen until like the 70s. Right. And that's like my parents were in high school, middle school during those times. So like... This issue is very much still kind of in the present, right? right? And, and still really being worked out. And I think, uh, I think even for my generation, we think, well, you know, we, you're, I think you're right. We're now in the f- future, right? That stuff should have gone away. And even though we had a black president, we all were even now, like, look, the United States has a black, had a black president. We are definitely past a lot of our issues. Yep. But these, these issues are still fairly fresh yeah. and, and still have not gone away. And so this is an important point to say uh, racism is a gospel issue. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. That to, to treat anyone else as if their concerns don't matter because they are not you 
or they are not yours, you are not your people, is to devalue them. But what is the solution for how we value other people? You cannot just say, well, it's 2020, you ought to be valuing other people. Right. The passing of time does not create right. <laughs> concern for other people. Right. It just doesn't. Right. We would love to, and, that, and that's, a, that's a side effect, again, of this, this view of humanity that's positive, which goes along with this progressive view that people ought to be getting better by now. Okay, well, they're not. Mm-hmm. What, what are we going to do about that? Right. And uh, there is not an answer better than the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is hope for the hearts of right. wicked human beings. Right. Repent of your sins, trust in the work of Christ, and there is new life for you. Right. That, that daily you learn to walk with him and to value everyone that you encounter. Let him be the Lord of all your relationships and all your life. And that, that is the hope yeah. that we have. And, and, and a part of the problem that's going on, and I really believe right now, is that we put our hope in the wrong places. Right. And, and, and really put our hope in things like, other people should have fixed this by now. Or, or, or okay, people don't have power to get inside of other people's hearts right. and make a change. Right. They don't. I mean, right. I wish they did. I really do. Right. But we don't, we don't have that. Right. Uh, that's, that's the big problem that God sent Jesus to solve in our world is that you, you can't jump inside of somebody's heart and right. start remaking that thing. We need, we need help for that. And this is one of the issues of, you know, the the modern age where it's just like, well, science and technology and progress will fix things, yep. right? And as long as we can create a technology, we can create uh, uh, some some system by which it's created by man and institutions, it'll fix our problems as we go forward. Mm-hmm. And um, and we're, we keep on discovering that those are all like, they're not, those are lies. Like that yeah. science and technology and progress cannot fix yeah fix evil in our world yeah. only christ can fix evil in this world right. only christ can change the heart of humanity and uh, and i think what makes it difficult when, even when we talk about white and black issues is is that we're a predominant most of the christian churches in the united states or in the south who has typically had struggles with race issues right. the south right. and so it creates this weird geographical issue as well it's like and i think it's hurt christians yeah. in some ways is that we speak and it's like well if you want to know who the slave owners were, they're all southern southerners who went to church on Sunday, right? It's like, yeah, well, historically that is true, uh, and I think, I think even in, within white, when it comes to whites in the church, recognizing like, hold on a second, like we believe in Jesus, we believe in the Bible, but like maybe our understanding of the gospel is a bit incomplete. Maybe our recognition of like going back to Ephesians chapter two and recognizing that. There is no longer Jew and Gentile. That right. thing is that's gone away. I mean, right. Jesus blew that up right. at its core, um, and there is a new man and a, a, a new nation, a new race, and that's in Christ. And right. so you're no longer the white guy from Tennessee. You're a Christian, right? And your black brother is no longer a black guy from Memphis, Tennessee. He's your brother in Christ, right? You share that identity, and that goes far deeper right. than white black culture. And so. I, I really look at it and I go, if your, heart, if your hope is in the right place, then you can move to understand issues right. of systemic injustice, which right. do exist oh, yeah. uh, for uh, black Americans, for uh, Hispanic Americans. That, that there are systemic issues mm-hmm. of injustice that if you put your hope and you, and you have uh, your compass in the right place and understanding where my, uh, not, only, not, not just my eternal hope, it's not just about going to heaven, it's about 
treating people as they ought to be treated today. It's about hope right now that Jesus offers, that we can change the way our communities work right now. And, and so you have to have a sober view of how your community is operating. Uh, and, and Jesus gives us relationships, solid relationships, which is what you're talking about, yep. that we should know more than just people of our ethnic group that we count as brothers and sisters. Yep. Um, and that the universal church, yes, we look forward to the day when God will gather everybody in from right. every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But right now, those brotherhoods exist on earth, and that is to our strength right. to, to be united. And, and so there's a lot of work to be done yeah. in that regard. There just is. Would you say, like, going forward, um, I think what if there's going to be any, any, any progress, especially if, if Christians are going to be a voice in this progress, don't you think, like, when it comes to Natural, naturalism or patriotism or regionalism, like all of those, those t- tightly held isms and, 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 and identities uh, have to be somewhat sacrificed and given over uh, for this to be progressed any further. Because if you're always going to come with an idea of, of, you know, America first or the flag first, right. or um, it's about my heritage and my culture and what makes me who I am, that if you're always coming out of that focus and value, you can never get to a point of, of understanding and listening to someone come from a different group, right? And you're never going to be able to show compassion. You're never going to be able to show humility um, and a sense of, of, of listening and wanting the best in another group of people, right? I mean, yeah. I think it's struggle. I think that's where we almost need to start, I think, yeah. this idea of... Because in America, and as this article talks about in the United States, when we were a founding country, blacks were not a full person. Yes, that's right. And, um, <laughs> that sounds crazy today, but does. that was true. Right. And, and that, that's, that's real. That is, um, that is a part of how this country started. And so what you're talking about in terms of uh, your identity, you have to sort through yep. the parts of your identity that are foundational. Right. Uh, I am known by God. That is the center of my identity. It affects every other thing about me. Then there are these things that I cling to less tightly about where I'm from. And even uh, beyond being known by God is where my family connection, my, my place of birth, my, uh, that, that, is, that is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. But I don't view it uh, as something that I have had any part in or created it's it's a gift from god that i've had the family that i have had and viewed that way we can then judge all these things can be viewed rightly when we go god's the lord of all of it right um and and so yes uh as in all things lordship of christ we 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 look at the past and we go this is real Lord, show me what to do in light of the realities of the past. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of parts of history that are, that are awful to know about, that are unimaginable to have lived through. Um, and so, with humility, then we should be able to say, I-, I cannot imagine, and there is an evil that 99% of black Americans walk in, which is uh, my ancestors were bought and brought yes. here. Uh, and 
I don't I don't know what that's like, and, yeah. and that's okay to say that, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then to walk in humility and to go, okay, Lord, show me what to do about that. Yeah. Um, which which moves us through because I, I think that that this is data and this 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 is a fact about the the things that have happened in the past, but there are important issues about what's happening right now uh, that there there has been and there is racism in this country yep. now it's in specifically uh thinking about police how policing works yeah um here's a quote from this this is uh called the myth of systemic police racism and i forgot to write down it was a, a lady that wrote this article do you the remember the wall street it? journal yeah i don't remember uh it was in the wall street journal um it says this uh, minnesota governor tim walls denounced the stain of institutional racism uh, on law enforcement last Friday during a press conference. He claimed blacks were right to dismiss promises of police reform as empty verbiage. Uh, but in the next paragraph, she says, this charge of systemic police bias was wrong during the Obama years and remains so today. And uh, so she has a lot of data in this article talking about uh, 375 million annual contacts that police officers have with civilians and that uh, from a statistical standpoint, we don't have overwhelming numbers of only, uh, young, uh, only black folks being treated worse. And so what you do with this, what do you do with this? One, Quick to listen, every story matters. So these stories still matter. You still hear every person out. What we know is that it indicates in individual situations we have some bad things happening, and so you listen. But then the second major point is we have to be objective about data and look yeah. at what is happening. Yeah. Uh, our stories are important, but we cannot just judge every other story by our own story. Our own hearts can deceive us in certain ways, so we have to seek good data. Yeah, um, it's Heather MacDonald yeah. uh, wrote the article on the Wall Street Journal. And um, I want to just, uh, if you're watching this or listening to this, I want to encourage you, go to the Washington Post, or go to Google. Um, Washington Post has been collecting data on police brutality uh, since, I think, um, um, maybe 2015 or so. It's very interesting. It's very in-depth. You actually put in uh, race, uh, state, um, and year, and you can see the data. Uh, so, like, I, I could give you this data number because I looked it up. Uh, there's been There was 41 deaths by police of unarmed people, 41, in the United States last year. Yeah. I mean, that number is actually, you can go find that actual number. Um, and so it's helpful to look at those data and to see, um, all right, where is it bad? Yep. When was it bad? Has it gotten better? Um, and actually, how many races are, I mean, Hispanics have been killed by police. Whites have been killed by police. More whites have been killed by police. More unarmed whites have been killed by police in the United States last year. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, that data is helpful, right? It's helpful to see that. Um, and, and, and when, when we say this, it's not like we're saying what happened with George Floyd was okay, it right. was wrong, it was evil. And every time a cop kills 
a someone. It doesn't mean that that they uh, they did it purely out of evil intent. Right. Like there's there is self defense, right? And it does happen. Right. Um, and, and so it's helpful to look at those numbers. Obviously, we don't have context for every one of those numbers, right? right? And I think that is the the issue of of what does it look like going forward? Um, I think here's some constants. Number one, um, I know that the police officer, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head, the police officer in Minnesota. Derek Chauvin. Uh, he had some issues in the past. Yeah. Many issues. Um, and it seemed like they was those issues were overlooked. Mm. Those, sh- those should not have been overlooked. They should have been dealt with. Uh, and that goes to whoever was in charge of the police department um, and his superiors. They made mistakes. Uh, and I think training needs to improve with police. I think that's pretty much a general mm-hmm. discussion and understanding that uh, cops need better training and, and, and maybe more specific training, right? Um, so I think all of those things hopefully will be a result of this, right? That we'll see cops being better trained, we'll see them um, being uh, able to uh, interact with the community in, in different and better ways going mm-hmm. forward. Um, and maybe there's opportunities of listening between the police departments of communities and certain communities within the city. Like there's some way of sharing information, sharing uh, issues, whatever those things are. So hopefully when we go back to that data in 2025, we'll notice that those numbers are going down, right? right. And that is, that, that's the hope. Right. And so you, so many other times we talk about how two difficult things can be true simultaneously. Right. And so one, we have to be quick to listen. Mm-hmm. Stories matter. Mm-hmm. Injustice is incredibly difficult to bear. Yeah. And so one situation of injustice is wrong and needs to be dealt with. That's why yeah. we have a court system. That's why we have a that's court why, system. Right. That's why we have a retributive justice where we want to have the punishment fit the crime mm-hmm. and that it has to be adjudicated in a court of law. Um, but then that's where these events that are subjective and we experience, they, they have to be considered objectively and you get facts and you, you get data. And, and so that's why our system exists as it does. And, uh, here is the effect of this and why this is so important for everyone involved. Uh, this, this one line from uh, this article I thought was powerfully summarized uh, the point that she was making. If the Ferguson effect of officers backing off law enforcement in minority neighborhoods is reborn as the Minneapolis effect, the thousands of law-abiding African Americans who depend on the police for basic safety will once again be the victims. That this is right there in Romans six. Yeah. The government bears the sword. The government is to oversee so that there is order and safety for everyone. And unfortunately, what what we're experiencing, and I know this has been happening in 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 the last week in Minneapolis and some other areas, that if a situation is so unruly that the police can't go in and be safe in maintaining order, then they back off Mm -hmm. and they go, we'll clean up tomorrow and we will have more Mm -hmm. help to Mm -hmm. keep this situation in order. And Mm -hmm. that's horrible for the Mm -hmm. people who live in that area, who have businesses in that area. Uh, Anarchy is not good Mm -hmm. for anyone involved. Right. And so, uh, 
those those exist together. The fact that we we have to listen, we need to discern stories, but we also have to be objective about the data of how far this is going. Yeah. Police have a role to play mm -hmm. in this country. It's been interesting, you know, uh, hearing these stories of police officers, you know, walking with the protesters, uh, police officers who are kneeling, right. you know, recognizing like. You have to put yourself in the mind of the cop when they watched that video of George Floyd being killed. They also were impacted right. because it is a mockery to their job. Right. It's a mockery of their vocation. A vocation is a calling. They, right. they have been called to be police officers, right? right. And some, some are probably, as anything, are enjoy what they do, feel that it is, it is a noble task, it, it affects their community in a positive way. There's others that probably shouldn't be cops, right? right? They're doing it because they had no other options, they're doing it because their dad was a cop and so they have to be a cop, whatever it is. Um, and I think, you know, for cops, recognizing that, um, they can be the, 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 almost the, the most impactful, influential people in the situation if, if they recognize how can we do our jobs better so that we can serve the people. Because that's, I mean, we're pastors. We don't become pastors so that people will praise our name. We do it to serve people. Yeah. A police, police officer is a servant of the, of the community, of right. the civic community. And I think, um, I think if cops can recognize that, and they can recognize that while they have to show force and, and be an agent of justice, um, they also have to be an agent of service and serving mm -hmm. their community and serving the city, serving those who need protection, who need uh, care, um, and um, and we'll go forward. And there will again, there'll be bad egg cops that will do bad things, and we have to hold them responsible right. for what they do. Right, and so um, the strength of data yep. is that when you look at data, you can go, I've heard a story, I know if this story is a common story or, or an uncommon story, and you will find then change is called for, right. and it has been called for, and still change needs to take place in this country. And so how is political change most strongly called for? Through protest, yeah. which is rightful. Yeah. And a rightful protest uh, along the lines, yeah. uh, Martin Luther King is rightly hailed as the most intelligent and effective leader in this regard in the history of this country. So you do a peaceful protest. You show that this matters to you by responding even to violence with nonviolence. Yeah. You stand and you say, I am a citizen requesting change. Yeah. And knowing that you stand with a group of people who will not back down until there is change, which is, uh, that was the third thing, is protest for change. But the wisdom I've heard in the last week and, and the wisdom uh, a few months ago, I spent some time reading uh, the I Have a Dream speech, some, some works of Martin Luther King, yeah. and that you need to be specific yeah. about what changes you want. I saw Barack Obama put out uh, on uh, Twitter, I believe, about, look, if, if you want change, you need to be specific. You yeah. need to know a little more about policy, and then you say, this is the exact change I want. Mm. And I'm going to protest until that change is present mm. that that is that is powerful mm. because then it translates into action right and that is uh, that is not just something for an individual that is for all of us to work through where we ought to be in regards to this that yeah. that specific changes should be called for and that we we protest and we call for them to happen until they do that is how a civil society works yeah
I remember uh, Dr. Moore, Russell Moore's ethics class. I don't know if he took his ethics class at Southern. But he, he talked about he talked about it quite often, actually, uh, about ethical change, right? And he had the list, kind of like um, top priority to like, what is the major influence or major uh, changer, uh, agent of change within mm-hmm. the society? And obviously guys at the top of the list. But before politics, right. culture. Mm-hmm. You think about like um, you think about gay marriage in the United States. You think okay, the yeah the court passed that, but that was a cultural change before it became a political change. Right. You know, um, and that's what makes protesting so effective because it affects a culture, right? right. It changes a culture, and then the political uh, structure and governmental structure will eventually come aboard that cha- cultural change because politicians want to be popular. They want to be kind of. As the people speak, they want to be right. kind of followers of that, um, and that's what makes you know protesting so effective. But you're right, though. If you think about Occupy Wall Street, massive protesting that happened um, after 2008, there wasn't a lot of accomplishment because there wasn't a lot of particular mm-hmm. purpose and reason. There's so many voices speaking with their own agenda. There was no like leadership there, um, and you know, with our theme being leadership in, in a crisis, it's like. This is a crisis, and who's going to be a leadership voice amongst Black Lives Matter, amongst others who are speaking, hey, this is a problem, and what are the one or two things that we want to see change? You know, right. Where do we want to see change? What are some things that we could see where the government can pass that law, or cities or states can pass that law? But if there's too many voices, if there's too many leaders, if there's too many um, – ideals and, 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 and visions, then it will fall apart right. and there will be no change and then we'll be back at this again. And, um, and hopefully, um, I don't think we're called to lead this movement, obviously, but hopefully that there's true leaders that stand up. Well, and we really need leadership yeah. at all levels right now and it is lacking. I mean, yeah. uh, in, in terms of Especially if you think of the two big uh, characteristics we've been talking about, which is competence that we started with, but this is where character comes yeah. in, that you have to practice what you preach, yeah. that your words should have more weight because everybody there present knows your actions are in accord with your words. Yeah. And we have to have that right now, and we presently don't. I, I, I just don't. Uh, unfortunately, I can imagine there are some, but... Uh, uh, President Trump is not an example of somebody whose character calls you to go, I want to support this administration because of the character of that man. Right. Uh, you know, and, and that's needed right now. Do you think, do you think, I mean, uh, do you think President Obama could be, is he, or is he too polarizing to be that kind of leader? So I think in terms of character, uh, he had more going for him than Donald Trump has. Right, sure. Uh, and it's been a while since I would say we had a president who generally people would say he has both character and competence. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan would be uh, right. maybe the last example. And you can really look at our presidents since then and go, I mean, look at Bill Clinton. You have yeah, no character. You have competence. Yeah, he seemed no to know how to do some right. of the important things, but character right. lacking. And look at George W. Bush. In general, yeah. he had character, character right. not a lot of competence right. in terms of governing. And, right. and so these, it's not that these things are easy right. for any of us uh, to, to just have 
all of the competencies that we need uh, in every situation, and then to also go, I won't cut any corners, I will keep my character and practice what I preach. Um, but it's needed. This, this is, it, it affects people around us because you have to get away from thinking individualistically about what I can accomplish. You have to go, wow, when I keep my character, other people believe in the movement and that I should be leading the movement, so then therefore they get on board right. more than the way we often think, which is just, well, what can I accomplish in this you know, eight-hour workday that I have, or even if I push it a 12-hour workday? Listen, your group will accomplish more if you don't cut corners yeah. and you do right. you practice what you preach, and, uh, and we have to think more that way. Uh, it's really important. Mm. So, uh, so be quick to listen, be objective about data, protest for change, be specific. And then uh, the, the last major thing is uphold the rule of law. Uh, this is, there's uh, the last article that you mentioned, uh, every protester has a reason. You sent this to me the mm -hmm. other day, uh, Holman W. Jenkins, uh, that we have questions about connections between this period that we're coming out of, two months basically where people have, been, have spent worrying about what's going to happen to them and in the world, and then not knowing uh, about their jobs, about income, uh, about living, about health, about family, uh, that there seems to be some connection between what's going on in terms of people's stresses and then coming out of it and the general anger that is now being shown. Yeah, you, you wonder, you know, is, is, the, is the virus combination really... Is it created almost like a, a um, uh, what is that term, uh, a greenhouse or a, an incubator, incubator for, for, for this kind of just outrage, right? Mm -hmm. well, I, I think, you know, with what happened, I think it would have produced outrage. Mm -hmm. But you wonder with that kind of combination, it's really just kind of caused a fever pitch, right? Where it's really just caused people to be basically fed up, right, um, and, and moving forward. Um, so it is interesting kind of where we are. I saw something that said, is America, is 2020 the worst year in American history? Uh, I never wrote the article, but the, the headline was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bold, I suppose. Uh, but, uh, you know, I wonder if that's kind of what people are probably thinking. Uh, it's like, wow, can this year get any worse? Uh, uh, how, much, how much more um, impact... And crisis can a, can a year take? You know, we're only in June. We're only six right, months into right. this, and it's uh, it's probably the more impactful year of my life of anything. I mean, 9/11 yeah. was impactful, but um, that was a one day thing, and, and you know, yeah, it affected you know America for for a while. But this thing is just kind of keep going and going and going and going, and it's just we keep on talking about it, and then this happens, um, and, and I and I hope that this issue doesn't get lost in another issue that comes up, right? I mean, right. we have a presidential election, which right. is crazy. And I, I, I don't, I, I, we're, in a 20, we're in a presidential year, and I don't think I've thought about it all that much, yeah. to be honest with you. So it's like, um, so this issue is going to become a major issue in the presidential election going forward. That's going to keep this issue burning kind of white hot, I think, right. up until November. Um, and then whatever happens on that day, right? Um, what if Trump wins again? Right. You know, this is going to, if you think there was rioting now, protesting that now, there's going to be protests that day after that election. Like they're just, America, is, this is, this is going to be a very, uh, a very interesting year as we keep going on this. And, uh, 
but yeah, you know, I we were I was encouraging someone this morning. We were talking about this issue, and they kind of slipped uh, with not mentioning George Floyd's name. And uh, somebody who was with me said, "Hey, his name's George Floyd." Like, and I'm, he said he wasn't trying to be mean. He was just saying, "Remember, right. it happened to a real person." Right. Um, and I hope that's the one thing I hope that doesn't get lost in all this and all the protesting and all the other activity is that this this man who died, who was murdered. Um, doesn't get lost, right? Um, he doesn't just become a, a symbol, but that he, he's a real person who died, and death is a product of sin, it's a product of the fall, and God, God at, at one, of my, one of my favorite stories of Jesus' life is when he wept at Lazarus' tomb, and I think I had read, and, thought, and I kind of agree that Jesus is, is weeping, not just because Lazarus died, because, I mean, obviously he's going to raise him from the dead, but he's 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 sad because death is in his right. his father's world, right? And that in and of itself, we don't need to forget mourning yeah. the loss of this of this man and 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 mourning the loss of others that will follow. Right. Um, so on that, first of all, I don't think this is the worst uh, year in American history uh, from the standpoint of uh, we have the resources to face what we're facing. I have seen, uh, I've seen confusion in my lifetime about a lot of times people don't know what to work on. It has seemed like, well, uh, really, I would say my feeling 20 years ago, especially as you, part of what you do in church is you kind of go, how are my people doing? And my strange feeling 20 years ago was, well, these people aren't doing that well, but they're doing, uh, they're doing good enough Right. where they won't work on their spiritual condition very much. They'll just kind of do, uh, kind of live their own separate lives, not care much about their community, and, and that there wasn't anything drawing them to do anything about that. And uh, one, I do think that we are seeing right now come to the surface issues that require us to work on them. Mm-hmm. And so for, for those who are growing up right now, I pray that the right leaders would rise and the causes that need to be taken up would be clear and that people would take them up. There, there is work to be done, yeah. um, and we have the resources to do it. it. It will just take sustained effort and time, yeah. and, and we'll have to be on it. We have to have a comprehensive view of where our hope is and how change happens, yeah. uh, but it can be done. And, and yeah. so... Um, and you're right. I think your list here is really helpful. Like, are people willing to listen? Right. I mean, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to shut up and just listen for a little bit are you willing to look at facts look at objective data like we we do live in a world with objective truth right um it's not a casual thing you just throw out when you want to there's objective truth and there's unobjective truth like there i mean there's a subjective it's based off whatever you believe and think but there's objective data that is true and that is real and it's corresponding with reality and that there is a need for change right um and we should support and recognize that need for change and we need to be specific in that change i think i think are we willing to follow those steps are we willing to be patient over long term i mean change happens in millimeters right it doesn't change in large leaps all at once it's a millimeter change over over time are you willing to listen are we willing to 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 really focus on this as a society as a community or are we just wanting fast change or we're willing, you know what? It's really not that important. 
and I just want to I want to be left alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be left alone, and I don't want to deal with any of this drama. You know, um, I think those are some of the the, the kind of hard questions we kind of have to ask ourselves yeah. and, and, and be truthful. So, yep. Uh, I've been reading this book that has just a, a lot of various random quotations and, and this is, this is to me where we are right now and, uh, and what we, uh, what we have to be working on. This is uh, a former uh, president of Harvard, uh, Robert M. M. Hutchins, Robert M. Hutchins said a world community can exist only with world communication, which means something more than extensive shortwave facilities scattered around the globe. It means common understanding, a common tradition, common ideas, and common ideals. That we, we in, in all of our goings, we have to connect better with the people who are around us, knowing our neighbor, loving our neighbor, and listening, and, and we can work from there. Yeah, I, I, you know... Um Another thing I want to just, as we end here, encourage you to, to read. I posted it on, on my Facebook page, um, but someone actually um, published this in the, in the Atlantic. But they published uh, Robert, Robert Kennedy's speech after MLK was assassinated. Um, and I think it's a helpful speech because uh, Senator Kennedy, um, he says, you know, basically we have a common ideal idea, identity as Americans, mm-hmm. um, and we need to show compassion mm-hmm. um, and I think that that voice is is and I think MLK would have echoed that right we need compassion right. for people um, and um, if you if, if you're not gonna have compassion for people um, then there is no there is a no hope um, and so um, yeah I, I posted it on my Facebook page but you can find it other places obviously um, and I think it's a nice a nice Remember, uh It's a nice uh, uh, statement by someone who also was was killed, you know, for what he believed and stuff. So, yep. so uh, is that I guess that's it for yeah. for today. So this has been Empires of the Future, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.